0: Hello, welcome to the program, Innovations in Orthopedic Solutions, Evaluating the Use of Decellularized Dermal Allografts in Improving Patient Outcomes. This program is supported by an educational grant from TRX Biosurgery and provided by North American Center for Continuing Medical Education, LLC, and HMP program. My name is Dr. Vetus Ringus and I'm a foot and ankle specialist uh, who's North Peak Surgeon in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, the medical director for the uh, Tier 2 Women's Soccer WPSL League and take care of multiple soccer teams in the region. I'm joined by Dr. Robert Hines, who is an orthopedic and sports medicine uh, specialist in shoulder and knee. He is the chief of surgery at Community North Hospital, head wrestling physician for the University of Oklahoma, an Olympic team physician in 2008 and 2012, who currently practices in Oklahoma City. Uh, Today's learning objectives include evaluate the emerging data on the use of biologics in orthopedic applications, including rotator cuff and foot and ankle repairs, examine the biomechanical properties of intact acellular matrix and potential impact on surgical outcomes, investigate via case studies clinical outcomes surrounding reduction in pain, the use of narcotics when using intact extracellular matrix versus other treatment options, view cases expected clinical outcomes, and return to activity when biologics an intact extracellular matrix and low-residual DNA are used. So, without further ado, I'll turn it over to Dr. Hines, and let's get started.
1: Good morning. Uh, My uh, my main focus today will be on uh, rotator cuff repairs. Um, First of all, we have to consider that the rotator cuff tear is a diseased tendon. Uh, There's uh, evidence of collagen degeneration, disordered arrangement, uh, significant decreased vascularity, as well as uh, decreased hemocytes and fibroblasts. Uh, and the reported literature from uh, Fuchs' uh, journal of bone and joint surgery 2006, there are reported re-tear rates uh, after open rotator cuff repair, singleton of 13%, massive tears of 34%, which is, was, which is concerningly high. But the problem... In practicing orthopedic surgeons, is that the problem with the persistent pain postoperatively, and that's combined with uh, obviously the narcotic epidemic we have in the United States, and at least in Oklahoma, we have new narcotic prescription laws which limit the, the operative surgeon on prescribing uh, pain medicines postoperatively. So, so, um, uh, the goal of rotator cuff surgery, in my mind, is number one, and as, as I tell my patients, to stop the pain. Number two, to stop the pain, and three, to stop the pain. We, we want to stop the pain. That's why they're having surgery. Number two, the t- we want to heal the tendon, okay? And then we want to uh, obviously decrease the retear rate and then ultimately return uh, the, uh, the patient to full maximum function. So, so how how can we strengthen our repairs? How can we how, how can we do that? Well, there's a lot of different ways we can do that, and there's been a lot of literature on single and double row repairs. There's there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of literature on that. A lot of uh, controversial literature uh, in terms of which is better, single row, double row. Uh, also, um, uh, there's been reports on using a uh, a augmentation of uh, of using. A, a dermal allograft, and they've done some studies looking at ultimate failure of single row repairs. Uh, being uh, uh, in one study, uh, 273 newtons, whereas uh, we're using a, a dermal allograph, the dermal allograft, the the repair is stronger at uh, almost 325 newtons. So uh, this was done by Barbara in the Journal of Orthopaedics in 2008. So, and also there's been uh, some prospective randomized uh, uh, studies looking at a cellular human dermal matrix augmentations for arthroscopic ro- or cuff repairs, and they found that uh, with augmentation, they obviously have a, a lower rate of re tear uh, at 15% with augmentation, and without augmentation, uh, uh, the re rate is, is 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 concerningly high at uh, almost uh, 60%. So. Well, I use a, uh, a decellularized dermal graph in what I call a rotator cuff tears at risk, and and uh, I consider rotator cuff tears at risk large, massive rotator cuff tears, usually it's two two to three tendon rotator cuff tears, and then I also compromise, which we see quite commonly, thin, delaminated tears, uh, and sometimes in older uh, patient populations. The rotator cuff, te- rotator cuff tendon is quite thin, and we've seen uh, quite frequently when, when rotator cuff tears are repaired with thin tendons, there is a higher risk of re-tearing. And then also, uh, uh, another indication in terms of my practice is with doing, and I see uh, quite a few revisions that I have to do, uh, revision rotator cuff pairs are rotator cuff tears at risk. So... But um, not all um, surgical augmentation uh, graphs are, are created equal. Uh, you have to consider a, a couple of different uh, parameters. Number one is the graph take. Uh, we have to have revascularization. I consider uh, the, the, the graph needs to have, uh, has to signal cellular migration and proliferation. Uh, we also want to have a early graph integration. in the the graphs that I use, uh, it uh, demonstrates proangiogenic response and adheres within seven days, which is important. You want the graph to adhere quickly uh, because motion, we're going to have to start motion early uh, to prevent any type of stiffness. And also another important parameter is we have to, the the graph handling has to be good. What I call suturability, the graph needs to be Thin enough to not provide, uh, not to have crowding in the subacromial space. But it also has the biomechanically strong to allow sutures to be placed within this uh, decellularized dermal allograft to hold the suture. Uh, and so when it's, uh, when it's uh, fixed uh, on top of the rotator cuff at strength and, uh, and the biomechanical strength, uh, it holds the suture. Again, it's easy to place the suture through, and it, and it also is thin to minimize crowding in the subacromial space. So the Dermapure, derma which is the cellulite dermalograph that, that, that I have been using, uh, uh, the biomechanical performances are superior to uh, some of the uh, uh, commercially available market leaders. Looking at the Dermapure, and the Dermapure is – is about a millimeter in in, uh, in thickness, and the ultimate tensile strength, tensile maximum load, all the parameters of biomechanical testing are are almost at the area of market leaders that are twice as thick. So the, the DermPure adds as a uh, thin, very strong biomechanical uh, structure that uh, that you can use to augment. Uh, that I used to use to augment. Uh, my rotator cuff repairs in what I call rotator cuff tears at risk. So first case is, uh, uh, that I'm going to show today is a uh, – uh, and these are all rot- these are rotator cuff tears. A uh, 68-year-old attorney uh, is also a professional roper who who uh, was uh, thrown from his horse, landed on the shoulder. Uh, he went to see surgeon. surgeon. Uh, he told him he didn't want really anything done. So they, the surgeon – uh, just started him on um, started him on the rehab program. Um, it was his dominant shoulder. He complained of night pain, loss of motion, uh, significant weakness. I saw him at two months postoperatively. Um, at that time, he did have full range of motion. He had significant weakness of uh, four or five in in, uh, in the subscapularis, supraspinatus, infraspinatus tendons. Uh, in his rotator, in his uh, MR arthrogram showed uh, uh, full thickness, full-thickness retracted tears of the supraspirinatus, infraspirinatus, as well as the subscapularis with no uh, atrophy of the muscles. So first, first uh, uh, slide here is, is this uh, significant, uh, significantly torn, retracted, full-thickness rotator cuff tear. You can see undersurface delamination and, and significant retraction. But again, there was no uh, uh, fatty infiltration, uh, significant fatty infiltration on this MR arthrogram. Another view, posteriorly, you can see where this was significantly retracted from the footprint, there's some delamination, some degeneration from the tendon. So, obviously, a, a, a rotator cuff tear at risk, uh, both delaminated, large, r- retracted, massive tear. So, um, what we did, took him to the operating room, we had an, underwent an arthroscopy, subacromial decompression, distal clavicle excision. Uh, and then I do my rotator cuff repairs through a deltoid splitting incision, uh, especially at rotator cuff tears at risk if I'm going to use a dermal, uh, uh, a dermal allograft. So this is the rotator cuff tear after it's been fixed. The, the, the medial sutures, what you see, which is a permacord and permatate from, uh, uh, from the anchors that I use, are, are, are there. And, and uh, so I size the, the, uh, the graft. Deep, the graft size from the anterior to the posterior uh, anchors, uh, and then uh, I use a decellulized dermal allograft. The de- de- it, that I soak it in bacitracin, vancomycin, and, and then they put it on the uh, uh, put it on the table. You know, and then we uh, I, I put the medial anchors and I thread them through uh, the medial aspect of the uh, graft, and then I uh, use a suture bridge technique. Uh, and secure that over the repair, so we're getting the double row repair, uh, the graft is incorporated into the rotator cuff repair, uh, and it's very secure, uh, it's secure fixation. So this patient, uh, and this is, the ma- this is one of the main uh, uh, benefits I see of using dermal allograph augmentation. Every person that I've done, 99% of them are off all narcotics four to five days post op off all narcotics at four to, day, four to four days, four to five days post-oply. Uh My protocol uh, with using the de- decentralized dermal allograft uh, incorporated into a rotator cuff pair I I, uh, I keep them mobilized in in a sling for sort of six weeks. I do not start passive motion till three weeks postoperatively. Really, live in dermal allograft adhere to the rotator cuff tear, and what I've found is that with having no pain, these patients do not get yeah. okay and so uh, I usually um, start passing motion three weeks post a really, out of the sling just for activities of daily living at the six week post op mark this patient had full range of motion Okay, and then the six week mark is when I start on a rotator cuff thoracic strengthening program uh, the patient did fantastic and at six months post op went back to professional roping. Uh, the biggest thing with, with this, with these patients that I use for the decelerizer, they stop hurting. I do not have a problem with pain. Uh, there's such a high incidence of patients that have rotator cuff repairs continue to hurt. Using That's the, one of the most impressive things about using this is that these patients stop hurting and stop, are off narcotics within the first week, which is, I think is, is, is impressive. So – Second case, another rotator, Another rotator 44-year-old SWAT officer, very fit, very muscular officer, uh, right-hand dominant, fell off, fell, dislocated his shoulder. Okay? Uh, he, he, was go- he went through the work comp mill delay, um, and so uh, I saw him at eight weeks post office. Uh, his, his main complaints, night pain, pain that awakens him from sleep every night, loss of motion, inability to hold a weapon the SWAT officer. In uh, the examination, 0 to 9 degrees of motion, full passive motion, severe weakness at 3 plus over 5, had no instability, his uh, MRRogram MRI, MRI, MRI showed a massive rotator cuff tear, both with supraspinatus and infraspinatus sinus, with attraction to a mid-humeral head, no fatty atrophy uh, on his MRRogram. So, again, a significantly retracted rotator cuff tear. Uh, not too much delamination, just degeneration on the articular surface. Two tendon tear. Again, this is a this is a posterior view. Again, significant retraction mid mid humeral head level. And so he underwent same an arthroscopy, arthroscopic subacromial decompression, distal clavicle excision, and then through a deltoid split and incision, he had the rotator cuff repaired. Okay, double row repair, and then it was on the prior case. He had the, the the dermal allograft incorporated to the medial medial row sutures, and then using the double row repair, uh, he had the uh, dermal allograft secured on uh, uh, securely into the rotator top. So again, this patient, I mean, and, and, and this is a narcotics. I mean, an officer. He, I mean, they are they're, they're tested all the time, even if they're on. So he was off narcotics two days postoperatively. Uh, he had uh, uh, pass, uh, we started passive motion protocol. Three weeks postoperatively, again, no problem getting all those motions back out of the sling. of six weeks for activities of day living, his range of motion was full. Again, he had no pain. I think a pain is that all the pain people have with rotator cuff repair are, are the significant risk factor in stiffness. So we started strengthening six weeks postoperatively. His range of motion was full. He returned to full activities of SWAT officer at the six-month post-op mark, and they have to go through intensive return to work physical. So allow them to climb ropes and, and things of that nature. So he he passed that with flying colors. So so why why do I augment with it with pure decellularized dermalograph? Well, the, the problem is is that rotator cuffs are hard to heal. They have persistent pain and they then they have a high re rate. So the Dermapure adheres within seven days. High tensile strength low-profile, no crowding within the subacromal space. And again, it adds structural strength to the repair, stops the pain very quickly. And again, these people, I mean, 99% of the people that I do with the, when I augment them, they are off all narcotics within a week. And I think that's important, a very important part. And I think that the main reason, it seals it, it improves the healing environment underneath the, uh, uh, underneath the rotator cuff, it's kind of like a seal
0: and I think it eventually improves improves the function. Thank you, Dr. Hines. Um, I'll follow up with my part on the foot and ankle, and you'll find that I echo a lot of what Dr. Hines mentioned. I I think some of the concepts and principles are are the same in the foot and ankle. Obviously, it's a slightly different uh, organ and body part, and we have different uh, criteria or requirements, and so I think that um, it'll be interesting for me to relay how this uh, applies to my practice. Uh, as a foot ankle specialist, so dermal allografts really are a, a newer product that uh, consists of uh, patented processing techniques that leave variable residual uh, yield of DNA. And that's important because it decreases the risk of uh, some, a graft post reaction or some sort of inflammatory process that could weaken or um, affect the structure of the actual graft itself. They have strong load characteristics uh, that are important in the foot and at the shoulders, we heard before. There are multiple sizes available. They rehydrate quickly, which is um, important when it comes to um, operative time. Uh, we, don't, we don't sit around for these things to, to get functional. Um, they're easy to use surgically. Uh, again, Dr. Hines mentioned this, and again, I will second it, that the handling techniques are, uh, I think, superior to some of the other products on the market. And they're available through uh, select distributors and buying groups. So they're, they're, they're pretty, pretty, pretty reasonably attainable. Uh, I don't think this is some specialty product that you always have to um, call in somebody uh, unique for. So, I like that. So, graft incorporation, based on a study by Bertazzi, includes um, a biologic human acellular dermal matrix that we use in Achilles tendon repair. Um, they were studied uh, and biopsied, and uh, they were found to be uh, uh, successful uh, in a variety of procedures, including sports medicine related wound repair and breast reconstructions, um, in terms of incorporation. Now, we weren't we didn't fully understand the process but over time i think that's been fleshed out uh, and in this specific case study uh they looked at uh, a patient who uh had a rupture re-rupture of the native tendon uh that occurred 2 months after undergoing uh an Achilles tendon repair using Matricell uh treated um, acellular dermal uh, graft um the adm was removed and extensive histology analysis was performed on the tissue itself that showed uh ingrowth additionally uh, the liter- literature, was re- literature review was conducted uh, to determine the mechanism of this integration of the tendon and uh, to explore if differences in the mechanism existed for different types of human ADMs. Ultimately, what they identified was that the histology analysis demonstrated that the healing process uh, during a tendon reconstruction is similar to that of, uh, of wound healing. Uh, namely, there is a, a proangiogenic response with uh, incorporation and gradual conversion to the appropriate type of uh, human collagen required. Uh, the literature review that they conducted also showed that differences exist in the mechanism for integration among the various human uh, ADMs, and these may be d- due to variances in the methods and technology uh, that produces the ADMs, namely the, the cleansing and scrubbing process to, to give you a, less, a lower DNA yield in the actual uh, grass itself. So dermal allografts underwent a histologic evaluation um, via uh, a biopsy for an Achilles tendon augmentation for the graft jacket matrix. Uh, they hit, hit, from, this was done by Leiden in the Journal of um, American Podiatric Medicine. They histologically evaluated a six-month biopsy sample from an Achilles tendon tear augmented with uh, graft jacket, as mentioned above. Uh, she initially was treated for Hagenofs deformity uh, and they used the allograft matrix to augment the primary pair of the tendon. This hardware, which they used to fixate the uh, calcaneus, was then removed and a biopsy was performed. It underwent specific staining, including hematoxylin and eosin, uh, Movat pentachrome, and tyluidine blue stains. Uh, as an aside, my father's a pathologist, so he may understand that better than me, um, but suffice it to say, I think they're specific for uh, tendon incorporation. Visually, that is grossly, the graft appeared normal and incorporated with the native tendon. No repeat tear was observed and the results of uh, tests for infection were negative. Historically, the graft was infiltrated predominantly with fibroblasts and demonstrated numerous blood vessels um, and positive proteoglycan staining in the um, graft and and at sites of vascularity indicated probable transformation to tendon-like tissue. So, Their conclusions from this biopsy were that the um, dermal allograft is highly compatible, supports revascularization and repopulation with uh, non-inflammatory cells, and becomes incorporated by the surrounding host tissue, which, uh, as Dr. Hines has, has already mentioned, and I will again echo, that's critically important when you're reconstructing tendons under significant tension, particularly when we're trying to get patients back to activity potentially quicker and with less pain. Um, and I will show a case study here coming up where we used it in Achilles as well, as I feel that fits in my practice pretty well. So after we've just seen that two uh, case studies were performed, where they took biopsies of the uh, acellular human dermal allograft uh, matrix and looked for incorporation, they then performed a case series, whereupon they explored nine patients who underwent Achilles tendon repair with an acellular dermal matrix. Um, The functional outcomes were evaluated using the foot uh, function index, revised long-form, and clinical results were afforded. This was presented by Cole in the Journal of Foot and Ankle Surgery. After a mean average follow-up of uh, 14.4 months, the mean uh, foot function index revised score was 33%, uh, and no cases of re-rupture or complication that required additional treatment occurred during the observation period. So long story short, patients did quite well. Their pain improved, uh, and uh, if evaluating a series of these nine uh, patients, it seems that this is a reproducible effect that the two biopsies previously showed via, via incorporations into the native tendon structure. So, our, inf- our understanding of this is growing, our data collection is improving, and we're starting to see that this is something that we can uh, reliably produce over and over in the foot and ankle. So, a little background on some of these Alloderm is a graft jacket dermal graft that was launched in 1999. Rehydration time is roughly 10 to 40 minutes. Not much available on the actual processing technique that I could find um, available through buying groups, reasonable cost, and multiple size available. Uh, I'm familiar with the Graft Jacket. It's uh, one of the products I uh, use as well. Uh, it has been around a long time um, and it's something that I think most surgeons are familiar with. Um, it is a human dermal allograft that undergoes proprietary processing as mentioned above. I couldn't find much information about it to allow the residual components to remain in their natural state. It recognizes human tissue, is revascularizing, remodeling, and transitioning into host tissue for right medical. Dermapure is another dermal graft I use, probably one I'm more comfortable and familiar with. Uh, This is a complicated slide uh, that talks uh, significantly about um, what DSEC technology is, specifically a proprietary technique used to, cleanse the native tissue or the allograft tissue of uh, DNA components and or other uh, native proteins that may ultimately, as mentioned above, affect incorporation uh, or integrity of the graft uh, that ultimately may lead to better outcomes. Uh, It is it goes through a series of washes um, that again are proprietary that in this study here, or sorry, in this slide here shows you the residual uh, DNA identified in uh, graph, and, and Dermapure and its competitors. Um, I think that this is interesting to know because again, as a Graft Jacket user and Dermapure user, um, there, is a, there is a significant difference in the dry weight uh, after an analysis is done. I can't speak specifically for ArthroFlex, but uh, in terms of my understanding of these products, I think that's uh, somewhat in- interesting to compare uh, the outcomes. So this sort of summarizes uh, the three uh, products that we most commonly see in this field. Um, uh graph Jacket, Dermapure, and Arthroflex, uh, it, it discusses what the product is, is what remains, and what their differences are. Um, Dermapure, I think, currently, in terms of the market, seems to do the best job removing, um, as I mentioned above, the extraneous uh, nuclear product as well as proteins. The other products mentioned to the right have some of those characteristics but certainly don't carry them all over. Well, obviously, we don't know that specifically uh, regarding graft as to see here, but uh, I assume that um, it probably goes through some testing. So, indications in my practice specifically include soft tissue defects whereupon it acts as a bridge, which Dr. Hines elucidated on. Loss of tissue integrity, which um, you can potentially link to delamination in the rotator cuff, but in the foot and ankle. This is something that we would see in, for example, a perineal tendon, and we have a case we'll present. You can see this in Achilles tendons uh, as they are long tendons that undergo quite a bit of shear. Um, sometimes in, in relatively avascular areas, one of the things that we continue to expound upon are is the proangiogenic features of this acellular human dermal allograft, whereby, uh, and specifically in, in the dermapure process, ProK2 comes in and uses the uh, small holes or channels in the actual graft itself to uh, act as vascular ingrowth pathways that I think uh, other grafts don't have. So would this be a consideration for relative area? in my mind? uh, It probably is. I think that this is one of those instances where we can use your own biology uh, and augment it and allow for increased penetration, growth, and transformation out of, of a native tendon that is mentioned above may not have um, uh, sufficient or, or, at least, optimal blood supply to heal by itself. And then, lastly, are they used for primary or revision procedures? I think uh, it, th- these grafts are suitable for both. I think that it, again, it depends on what the procedure is, how much support is needed, what sort of uh, tendon characteristics are identified, and so. When I go into many of my foot and ankle cases that require some sort of augmentation, I, I go through this checklist of is there a defect, is there integrity loss, is it a vascular, and then I don't really care if it's revision primary revision. If it's indicated, um, it's indicated. So a couple case studies. For me, the first one, this is a 20-year-old female, uh, active. She's had two years of anterior knee pain. She's failed therapy, bracings, anti-inflammatories and steroids. The MRI showed patellar tendinosis. We attempted PRP in an effort to stimulate uh, healing. This is sort of a microtreferination procedure in addition to the PRP to try to get some angiogenesis. Um, and after uh, failing this and having a long discussion with her, I, I, I told her I couldn't really uh, point to great studies regarding uh, dermal pure augmentation or human uh, dermal augmentation in, in the literature, but I feel that uh, in this case, uh, a patellar tendon would be a reasonable Option. I think it would add um, tensile strength. It would uh, allow for increased uh, tissue presence and act as a scaffold, both for bulking as well as for androgenic um, uh, proliferation. So we performed this with her. We, we proceeded with the surgery. We debrided it and placed the allograft uh, onto the proximal uh, patellar tendon. Uh, and four months out, she has, was essentially no pain and returned to full activity and was really pleased with the ultimate uh, outcome. These are some pre-op uh, images. You can see that uh, near the insertion on the left and the right, that she's got some uh, inflammation, and, and the tendon appears to have uh, uh, some uh, signal change. And if we look at it post postoperatively, the tendon itself appears to be more normal. It's hard to see here, but there seems to be continuity of the tendon, uh, both on the left and the right, uh, with better attachment to the uh, uh, patella itself. Um, and I'm ultimately pleased with the amount, with the lack, actually, of uh, residual edema she had, suggesting to me that this would this was almost completely fully healed at four months, which um, I was uh, pleased with. Case two is, is more my bread and butter. Case two is a uh, 66-year-old female who had left of heel pain for over a year. Uh, we diagnosed her with um, really Achilles tendinosis with a Haglund deformity. She had, observed, she had attempted conservative treatment options boot, physical therapy, anti-inflammatories. I traditionally, and I think most orthopedic surgeons, don't inject Achilles tendons anymore with steroid for risk of rupture, and we certainly didn't want to cause that in her. Uh, we did discuss platelet-rich plasma, which she ultimately deferred on. So after undergoing an MRI, which showed with moderate and moderate to severe hypertrophy, tendinopathy, and interstitial tearing, we had to have a discussion with her regarding what her options would be. There is some literature that points to the amount of tendon involvement uh, being related to the success of conservative care, 50% is a number thrown around a lot. That traditionally was seen in non-insertional Achilles tendinopathy, which is an avascular area. This is insertional Achilles tendinopathy, but it's still a number I use in my patients to give them a sense of is there a chance of a spontaneous rupture, what are the results of you know, what are the chances of conservative healing. In her case, she had gone through all of that, uh, and at this point, we felt that the final option was surgery. So uh, I discussed with the patient that uh, we could go ahead and proceed with this, do a debridement and augment this with with a graft jacket. I felt that uh, this is one of those cases where once you clean out the Achilles tendon, if it has enough inflammation, as I mentioned above, and eliminate the haggler deformity, you debride the tendon to the level uh, that it's difficult to imagine that will heal. It really gets um, gets resected. And even though we do an intraoperative Thompson test to assess uh, integrity, there's still some concern that after uh, removing the diseased tendon, there just isn't enough uh, to give adequate strength or recover over time, and so, um, if you do a complete resection, a lot of, th- of the disease tendon, as mentioned, I you will oftentimes consider augmentation. This is one of those places, and at this time, I use a graft jacket. So the patient was this. The patient at the time was discharged home. She was non-weight bearing for four weeks, followed by physical therapy and weight bearing in a boot. I will say that when I started my practice eight or nine years ago, I routinely do these cases and not add augmentation have the patient remain non-weight-bearing for at least six weeks before transitioning him into a boot. Over time, as my understanding of, of, of grafting and augmentation has improved, namely the last two to three years, I've, I've started to accelerate the rehabilitation protocol such that if I'm able to restore integrity, tensile strength with either an onlay or an inlay technique, depending on whether this is a non-insertional or non-insertional tear, respectively, that with patient pain decrease in pain, decrease in swelling, and accelerate healing rates. I feel I could start walking them in a boot at four weeks, and to date, that has proven, at least anecdotally, uh, in my case series in my mind, to be to be true. So, she follows the same pattern as, as the other patients. However, unlike the other patients, she continues to complain of pain and swelling. She failed physical therapy, uh, and she she failed other non-operative management. So we went back to the drawing board: anti inflammatories rest, immobilization. Again, we touched on PRP. She deferred on that again. We regained range of motion and she four plus a five strength. However, six months later, she's still unhappy. She has localized swelling, pain. Her quality of life is affected and we're concerned. So we repeat an MRI. This shows severe hypertroph- hypertrophic tendinopathy with a four-centimeter ill-defined tear with a full thickness component filled with inflammatory tissue, but no gap. So looking at this. Has the disease tendon ever healed? Are we looking at the uh, uh, graft jacket? It's a little difficult to, to sort out. Ultimately, Having a discussion with the patient, we proceeded um, with with a repeat exploration, uh, and ultimately through an extended similar incision, we went uh, through the Achilles, identified the residual graft jacket, uh, debrided it, performed another extensive resection of what was left, uh, and then um, this time Im- implanted, again, through an onlay technique, you can see here, uh, the Dermapure decelerated dermal allograft. Um, this was placed uh, somewhat circumferentially, so... Instead of an on-label, we'll call it a wraparound. Maybe we'll call it a wraparound. And so we laid some of it down uh, immediately and then Larry wrapped it around and reincorporated it into a, a, side, a direct side-to-side repair of the Achilles uh, and proceeded uh, to follow the same post opera protocol uh, because I felt that at this time that she would have similar results. And everyone's relief, she did. So at four weeks, she was transitioned out of a, out of a splint and cast into a boot, began to weight bear. she was off narcotics, Relatively soon, actually, three or four weeks after surgery, which is surprising considering it's a revision. Her swelling, her pain, and her range of motion all improved. Uh, I I just saw her actually for a final follow up roughly six weeks ago. Um, She had nearly full return to function, just a a little residual stiffness, which is not uncommon in in revision surgeries. No pain, minimal swelling, and returned all activities. Uh, She's actually excited that she could spend Easter with her family. So um, it's interesting that uh, one. One allograft worked, one didn't. I, you know, I, I attribute it to uh, potentially um, better proangiogenic features, um, maybe, maybe less nuclear content, I, I don't know. Um, again, I'm, I use both products, and, and I think results are, are, are good in many instances for both. So um, third study, um, and this is a little different, this is another revision, right? So we talk about primary versus revision, and I don't, I don't really differentiate much except for the characteristic of the tear. But in this patient, she's a uh, 54-year-old female who's had two previous perineal tendon repairs. Uh, she had a neuroma uh, from a probably superficial perineal nerve scarring or injury that was inadvertent. Um, she had uh, revealed increased pain with resisted inversion, eversion, localized swelling, decreased strength at four or five, uh, but no real restriction range of motion and no subluxation of the tendons. So she has tendons, the, the perineal tendons, that are significantly painful. They're not subluxing at you all. Know, you know, she has likely a, a, a post-operative neuroma, uh, but it's just an excruciating pain. So in order to get a roadmap, we we'll repeat the MRI. we we'll identify significant scarring and, re- and a recurrent pair and brevis there. And at this point, this would be a third surgery, and so I'm starting to worry about not only the the vascularity of the tendon from the multiple incisions, but also the uh, girth or, or width of the tendon. There's only so much you can debreed. So we had a discussion with her regarding what her options would be, um, We talked about excising the aroma and then advancing and exploring the tendons. Um, Dr. Hines mentioned something uh, that I think is uh, very important, that there is a side of the graft that sticks pretty quickly, uh, which is important because the tendon, particularly the perineal tendon, is going to slide around a groove and you don't want this graft displacing. So the other side of the graft, though, has, I I believe, and less uh, sticky properties, so you get some gliding. So you want to wrap this around almost like a, like a neural wrap, but it's not. Um, it's a tendon wrap. Uh, my <laughs> In fellowship, my attendant used to call it a pro- almost a prosciutto sandwich. So one side was salty, one side was not. I, I, it's kind of weird. but um, We ultimately elected to proceed with that, and after exploration, we identified that there was a large retrofibular tear of the brevis. And it was delaminated and thin and I mean, it looked almost like a stretched-out tootsie roll. So I thought this was a perfect indication to use, in this case, a dermapier graft. We wrapped the dermal side uh, on the graft and the, and the posterior side on the outside so they could slide, but get the stickiness, and hopefully incru- improve um, uh, both vascular growth as well as uh, tendon growth itself to bulk up the tendon. Uh, we uh, debrided both tendons uh, and uh, ultimately proceeded with uh, laying it on. And this is a, a good picture. If you look at figure two, the tendon located, uh, the, the white strip located posteriorly uh, that looks like a piece of string cheese is actually perinus longus. The brevis is located directly in the fibular groove there. We can see that it's it's a relatively long graft because we want to span the distance of uh, the brevis that is rubbing against the back of the fibula. We uh, wrap the uh, ingrow side along, around the um, peroneus brevis and tie it to itself as well as running it through the brevis like a prosciutto sandwich. And this latter approach is pretty typically what I perform. I ultimately explore approximately identify the aroma excised it, uh, and uh, subsequently uh, I got a good repair on it. Uh, I palpated the retrofibular groove. I thought it was appropriately deep. I did not feel that um, I needed to further deepen this. And ultimately, as in my cases, I go ahead and imbricate the superior perineal retinaculum to prevent further subluxation. Postoperatively, she was a little tough for recovery. Uh, because of the, of the patient's neuroma, uh, she, she required some more postoperative narcotics, which gradually we, we weaned her off of. Some of this was controlled with uh, nerve medication. Uh, the neuromatous pain eventually resolved. She was made um, uh, non-weight-bearing for two weeks um, in, a splint, in a splint, and then I put her in a boot and let her start to graduate her and do physical therapy, again, to regain motion. So this is a similar concept to the rotator Cuff as well as to the Achilles, that we're trying to get motion back not only for uh, patient's strength as well as uh, patient function, but also I think motion just naturally uh, restores uh, normal fa- normal healing and, and um, uh, local factors that allow the tendon to ob- obtain a more normal shape and decrease scarring. I think that's been proven through multiple studies. Now the question that in the, the perineal case is are we increasing the risk of a re-tear, re-tear or subluxation? In her case, I did not find that to be so. So over at three weeks, she begins to start to her in a boot. She starts physical therapy. By six weeks, she's still having some residual pain and stiffness. By by three months after surgery, her pain has significantly improved. She's essentially off narcotics. Uh, the neuroma uh, has gone away, and her ankle range of motion strength have returned. Um, she's pleased with the progress, still has some residual stiffness and pain over the scar, but I think that's related more to the multiple surgeries. I think overall she's satisfied with her tendon function, and she's glad she had the surgery. So I think it's it's interesting to compare... <laughs> The acillar human, human dermal matrix can work on both a tendon that requires a straight pole as a – has augmented strength functioning, if that makes sense, uh, as well as a, a tendon that requires uh, glide and motion uh, because of the ability to um, act to stick and then also to prevent adhe- adhesion formation in the right settings. Um, ultimately, I've been very happy with uh, switching to uh, one of these type of grafts. So conclusions, um, in my practice, dermal allografts have been proven to be safe and effective. I think as, as mentioned above, there were initially uh, biopsy studies that were evaluating the matrix and then a case the series and then ultimately sort of phase four studies where surgeons like Dr. Hines and myself ultimately evaluated them in larger groups of patients uh, and some early data is coming out that shows it's effective and works, decreases pain and potentially allows earlier re- return to function. Um, I think it has improved handling qualities over some of the other tissue grafts, uh, and I haven't mentioned um, uh, placental grafts, but sometimes the placental grafts are relatively flimsy. Uh, I think that uh, if you over-prepare the uh, these allograft matrices, you can lose strength, uh, and, and they tear through too easily, or they stay too thick. So it's a difference between a pork rind and a wet tissue, right? And if you want something in between. Again, I allude to what I mentioned just a slide ago, that that those biomechanical properties allow it to act in multiple in multiple capacities. One is both to augment strength, and the second is to allow gliding. So, um, uh, they are proangiogenic, which is not which is a hot topic, but not something we see very often. Um, you definitely want to see an increase in angiogenic factors, uh, which uh, there are some interesting studies out there that show that, that as, as time advances, um, uh, particularly at the three to four week mark, there is significant vascular ingrowth in early healing, uh, and that's one reason why I proceeded to have my patients start walking in four weeks with the Achilles. Um, early adherence and incorporation, just mentioned that. Accelerate healing and return to activity, again, sort of kind of the, the issue there. Um, and they're likely here to stay. I, I think this is something that is not going anywhere. I think they are a, uh, they've are they been around a while, but I think the future is bright. Um, the question will come down to really, I think, processing um, and uh, outcomes. And so th- that's kind of where we are now. Uh, as mentioned before, I, this is something I've discussed with my patients even on Primary cases and uh, especially in revisions, uh, but my uh, I feel that uh, these graphs are an important part of any um, orthopedic surgeon that treats tendinopathy uh, tendinopathy's armamentarium. So, hope that answers some questions. Hope that gives you some insight. Thank you.
1: I think what everyone wants to know is when do we use this stuff? When? What are the indications? I think, I, I think uh, Dr. Ringgis hit it very nicely, and I. And what I the, I think the indications, what people want to know, when do I use it? When do I use it? And how do I use it? I mean, when I do it, you know, can I do it through a deltoid split? Can I do it arthroscopically? The the the, the problem with people using it, it just takes a little extra time. Uh, but the, the most important thing is, is getting good results. Uh, and for me, if I have a rotator cuff tear at risk, which is a, Highly delaminated, very thin tear, and a lot of these people that we're doing—they're—they're maybe they're, they're fifty, sixty, seventy, sometimes eighty years old. I mean, the t- tissue is not good. So, the—I think if people—if um, they're wondering when to use it, they should use it when they have any doubt of that the repair is going to be uh, durable. And that's why I use the rotator cuff tear at risk. Rotator cuff tears that that are big, and those are the kind that tend to re-tear, uh, rotator cuff tears that uh, are thin, delaminated, and then always there, there, there are invasion tears. And I think Dr. Ringus hit it very good in terms of what his indications are, which are and what are important.
0: Dr. Ryan, I have a question. Um, maybe maybe of you can answer. You, I, you mentioned um, emulsifying these in bacitracin and vancomycin. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what two it was. Um,
1: what well, you thought What, I, what I, I do? What I do? I mean, because the the Durampure needs to be de, de, I mean, you know, as we I deglycerize it. And it's just okay. basically just kind of rubbing it in saline, and then, and like for all my ACL reconstructions, the literature shows you soak your graft in vancomycin, uh, you have a decreased r- risk of infection. So, I mean, it's a it's a big surgery. It's a decellularized dermal and So I I so I soak mine for about maybe you know two minutes and. In vancomycin, I also also add a little uh, bacitracin, which is my standard irrigating solution, and, and and so you're adding your you're adding your seal, you're adding your biomechanical reinforcement, but then also you're leaching vancomycin at the at the wound level, and so I mean I because mean, these are big these are bigger cases, so yeah. I have not had any infections in the patients that I've done, and these are these are big cases.
0: But have you had any issues? And we talk about indications in facilities. Now, do facilities sometimes balk at this because sometimes allografts aren't paid for? Um, have you had any problems with that?
1: Yeah, we uh, of course we are, we have a physician-owned hospital, uh, mm-hmm. and so there's a we have a, a implant uh, implant committee that looks at cost containment of of, all, of our implants. And so it was last brought up. Uh, it was last brought up at our last meeting. It says, hey, we, our, our rotator cuff uh, repairs, have the, 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 uh, the cost has gone up. And so I said, well, th- that's on me because, it, and I've seen a more complex, uh, a higher volume of rotator cuff tears, more, lots more complex, high, uh, larger tears. Uh, but but the, the ultimate goal is when, when they get down to cost, I, the, the most important thing patient results my right. patients' results are superior when i use the dermal allograft they're superior in terms of how they do they do not hurt they're off narcotics in five days they, they do since they don't hurt they're not getting stiff and the results are phenomenal and 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 therefore it's bringing business back to us so yeah to add a little bit of a you know hey let's 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 see why we're here. I mean, is it is it about cost? Yeah, but it's also about patient care and getting good results.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, one of the things that I sometimes cite some of the people that ask me questions regarding cost, efficacy, or or usage or indications is that is, is that for I mean years, and I'm sure Dr. Ryan, you can echo this, but for years, I followed a very similar post offer protocol, and, and I remember. Very specifically, one of my attendings was saying, don't walk them early, you're going to regret it. And so I didn't. And it required a, a, a paradigm shift or change in the way I thought about um, tendon healing and incorporation. This is what I think these dermal allografts provided. Uh, and so I, I, I thought, stepped outside of my comfort zone and said, let's see if this works. And I agree with you entirely that although the cost may be a little elevated, um, long-term, I think the overall cost, that is it's cost efficacy versus time, is improved because they have less revision surgeries, they're off narcotics faster, which is healthy to patients and the society as a whole, their recovery is faster, and overall they come back and return to a higher level of function, at least for me, for my Achilles, because um, obviously you're dealing with complex rotator cuffs in uh, 75-year-old, 65-year-old men and women, but many of the people that come to see me, as you mentioned, the SWAT officer, are people who carry heavy loads, firemen, um, construction workers, oil field workers, who... Return, have to return to a, a high basal level of function um, to to continue in their jobs, and and it could, it was difficult. I mean, again, as I mentioned, you, you take away so much of the diseased tendon that can they recover? Do they get strong enough? Um, and so I found that with dermal allografts, they do, and, I, and 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 that ultimately I think drives not only a societal good, but but drives a a, a, a cost benefit um, to everybody because now these people have come back to work quicker, they're more uh, they're more effective at work, um, you know, and, I, and I, that's that's what I want to ask. Cause I'm, I'm curious about that. I don't run into as much grief about it, um, but certainly I think that's on uh, maybe some of our listeners' minds. So.
1: But concern nowadays, the, the, yeah. the, the concern of cost containment because of the decreased reimbursement, you know, the people are concerned about it, but they have to look at the things that you talked about. Uh, you talked about, uh, as we both talked about, uh, less narcotic pain medication. Pe- people are off narcotics quicker. They, they're, they're doing better. They get back to work earlier. Uh, there's less revision surgery. And just, it's just, I mean, the cost-benefit ratio uh, uh, highly uh, favors the use of an augmentation device, a decellularized dermal grafts with superior properties. Rapid adherence, pro-angiogenic response, it, it, I mean, it, the, cost, the cost benefit is, uh, is obviously favors the use of an augmentation device. The big thing is like, it's it, it also with it, it. does it take a little extra time? Sure, it does. It takes me another probably 15 minutes to do the procedure. I mean, I do it through a deltoid spitting incision, but I do all my routine a through a deltoid spitting incision because I, there's no morbidity of doing a rotator cuff repair through a deltoid incision versus arthroscopically doing it, just because it's done arthroscopically doesn't mean it's better. Are so my results on rotator cuff repairs and dermal uh, augmentation against any arthroscopic uh, repair? far no?
0: So that's interesting. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot of shoulders at all, so I, I can't speak to that. But so I have, I have another question for you. Where, where else do you see this being applied? I, you know, I, I, I've done one patellar tendon, as I mentioned in this talk. I've done um, perineals, and I do a lot of Achilles. But, you know, as a sports guy, you, you, you see different parts of the body than I do. Well, have you found it be effective anywhere else, or do you see future applications?
1: I think that's a, a great thing that you did on that case. Uh, say, for example, if you have patellar tendon repairs, I think wrapping the tendon is a great, a new... Uh, Possible a new indication for because really because you see those patella tendon tears i mean they're just like a like a horsetail repair yes. and so wrapping them repairing them and wrapping them in the in the dermal outlet, i think would be a, a a fantastic augmentation indication
0: yeah that, that and that's sort of that's what i'm getting at i um you know i i don't obviously I don't see very many that's why it sort of is is a new unique case for me um but certainly on call, you know, or if you do a lot of trauma, obviously, um, you'd see more of that. Um, you know, one initially this was used somewhat for for wound healing. Um, and I, I know you don't, you don't have as much in the shoulder, but in the total, in the total ankle world, when I do an ankle replacement. You know, one of the things they talk about is could you sort of augment wound healing? That is, once I close the extensor retinaculum, can I lay this on top of there and get it to heal? And I, I've never considered that, um, although just, just us sort of, Shooting the breeze here and, and and sort of thinking about the ins and outs of it. I think that that's another indication. I I don't you know I don't know how much wound care you do, um, but for me, well, I think
1: well, I, we, much, but I think that's a, I mean that's a, it's a great indication for using that. And I'm not a foot and ankle specialist like you are, but I mean I would think that if you're doing maybe a lot of ligament reconstructions, maybe you, there's yeah. a lot of indications. You just you, you, you sometimes have to think outside the box in terms of where. Work can be beneficial in terms of improving patient care and per- improving patient outcomes. And again, as we both have talked about, it's it's all about getting good results. Right. It's all about good because our results are our reputation, and people's results are there. And they need to think of it that way. I mean, they need to think about, hey, I want my patient off pain medicines. I want them. I want the results to be superior because that is good. Good for you. It's good for your business. It's good for your reputation, and and that means more business. You're right. I agree. I agree. This
0: concludes our presentation for today. Hope um, that to helped give a better understanding
1: um, of dermal allografts. Thank you for your time and attention.